Did you forget your gamma radiation gear? Have you encountered a strange mist lately? Have you been bitten by a radioactive spider? All of these can lead to mutations, and in magic, mutations can lead to some interesting games. So let's head to the School of the Gifted and learn about all about the mutate mechanic in this episode. As always, I'm your host, Chris, and I'm joined by Joe. Say hi, Joe. Hi, everybody. And welcome to this episode of Magic Gathering Under the Hood, where we will be covering the mutate mechanic. First and foremost, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, show ideas, deck building questions, you want to send us a picture of your pet, you are more than welcome to, and you can do that by emailing us at mtgunderthehood at gmail.com, and you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at mtgunderthehood. So with all of that out of the way, uh, Joe, have you been working on anything, any new decks? You know, I haven't really worked on any new decks, but I will say that I've, I've Finally got a bunch of cards put away, and so I decided to go through some of the decks that I have but haven't really played a lot recently and said, you know, I can either just shelve these cards, put them away, use the sleeves, or in many cases I pulled the cards out because I wanted to put them in other decks that I'm using and just say, you know what, these were fun, these were good, but it's time to shelve them for a little while, so Anna won rogues it's gonna go away i had a varina zombie deck that it's it's gonna go away and so is what was the last one apart my kadena morph deck as much as i liked it as as close as it to my heart as it was it's time to let it go put it away for a little bit yeah um and i can i again i can just i can use some of those cards especially the removal spells the ramp spells mm-hmm. that are in there i can just i can put them into some other decks because I am still working on a Rafik of the Many deck based on the Exalted mechanic. So I'm, I would, really all I'm missing from that is the ramp, the card draw, the removal. So I can take some cards from there, put it in Rafik, and I'm still trying to build a Xanathar deck. I am, I am really close. I have about 40 cards now collected that I want to use. And I think I'll be able to pull again. I, I need some targeted removal, some ramp, some card draw in there. So I think once I get some of those compiled, I'll be in good shape to let those decks out for to see how they work out. So after you know starting the year off with Orvar and everything and all the success I had with that, we're going to take a step back and see what we didn't use last year as much, let some things go so that some new things, some new decks. What about you? What are you working on? So uh, I am curr- uh, currently in the final stages of getting... My Lawness Cryptozoologist Commander deck. That's the one where I can create uh, clue tokens, sacrifice those, right. and then uh, use Lawness's ability to steal creatures from my opponent's yeah. libraries, like right out of them. Well, as long as they're on the top. Yeah. And uh, so I'm putting the final touches on that one. And then I'm also in the process of rebuilding my Valduck deck. Oh, I don't like that. <laughs> but I'm. <laughs> I remember that deck. It was it was a monster. I'm going to try and keep it somewhat powered down by i'm not gonna be aside from lightning greaves and whisper silk cloak i am going to try and limit the number of like super powered artifacts or again as much as it didn't it it was not good one-on-one it was just way too powerful for one person to take it taken on but consider because it was still a great deck, and you built it really, really well. The last maybe consider multiple versions, multiple power levels, some equipment on the side, and you know I'm going to swap these cards in and out depending on the power level at which the group wants to play. That was my plan. The, yeah. the base of it, it was just going to be like kite shield, like all the like 
low costing, low stuff. Right. Um, not that big of like all they do is just add like you know a, a keyword here, you know, plus one, plus zero oh there, stuff like that, and it'll make a bunch. Yeah. <laughs> so like just, but really no extra benefit or right. anything like that. Yeah. Um, and then do mostly in, then do the rest of enchantment. Oh, okay. And then that way, if I... Ooh, mono red and chance. Yeah. That would be a new take that I haven't seen. That would be cool. So, and then if we want, if I want to increase the power level, I can easily go in and remove some of the, uh, some of the lower, some of the non-flashy artifacts or enchantments. Right. And replace those out so I can get something bigger and better and... So if you really want to go hardcore, you can put the Sword of Feast and Famine in there. You can put your... Um, you know, your lightning greaves, your swift foot boots, all that fun stuff. I'm trying to remember what swords I, I, I have like of the, what are we up to? Like 10 and with the infinity we'll have I think, 11. I think we only have eight. eight. I think we only have eight. I don't think we have all the colors. Um, I have three of them. Okay. Uh, yeah, like th- three or four of them, but none of them are the good ones. Oh, <laughs> I, I have like body and mind, which mills and creates a, uh, creates a wolf token. Okay. <laughs> um, I do have a Hearth and Home, though. Nice. That's a good one. Um, a very underappreciated card right now. Although I don't think it would be so great in Valduk of Voltron. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, like, well, because Valduk doesn't turn sideways, the swords are actually useless. Unless I well, that's on true. something else. That's true, yeah. Um, you like, just want to pump them up. And, yeah. Oh, uh, I think I am going to mainboard Embercleave, though. That would be a wise decision. <laughs> You'll probably end up playing it for two anyway, so... <laughs> yeah, because I'm just going to put it onto one of my elementals. Yeah. Oh, which one doesn't, which one didn't you block? Or in response to no blockers on flashing. Yeah, Embercleave seems like a good idea. Yep, yeah. that deck is going to be just as mean as I remember. <laughs> yep, and uh, how you said you were like take, like shelving decks as well. Yeah. Um, I shelved one of my decks just because I needed the sleeves for Alanis. Oh. <laughs> um, I shelved Vela. Oh, okay. But I think I'm going to put Vela into different shelve a different one and put Vela back in the rotation I, Say, I liked your Vela deck it was I fun I think I'm going to either shelve or just scrap uh my Guafa oh but that was fun it, it is fun it's just it gets the two times that I played it I actually started getting bored oh that because I'm a very aggro player yeah and by playing control like I only have like my win con in that deck is seriously just find my two or three big creatures in there and then turn those sideways. Right. And it just wasn't that much fun for me. So I get that. I, so I think I'm just going to shelve him. I'm just going to take him, take him out of the sleeves, put Vela back in the rotation. If I want to down the road, I'll bring him back out. But Oh yeah, definitely keep your deck list. Cause that was, that was a unique deck that you, you don't see a lot of them. You really don't. And even though when you played it, it was a control deck. It never felt, impressive controlling it was mostly like you you did just enough to make sure we couldn't get out of control because you ended up winning that game right approach of the second sun yep yeah you ended up winning and you did just enough to like keep us at bay and keep us under control but never any never at any point in the game did i feel like i can't really do anything yeah i i purposely made it to where it wasn't stacks and it wasn't tax right i wanted to make it to where it wasn't so much control, it was more hindering. Yeah. Because a lot of my effects was tapping stuff down and having your stuff come into play tapped. And right. Like, limiting what you can do in the short term, but over the long term, that's whenever you can... Right. 
So I purposely made it to where it wasn't stacks and it wasn't taxed. And I, I guess, especially from an opponent's standpoint, I know when I played Grand Arbiter Augustine, which was a hate bear deck, I know my opponents were... I wasn't really having a good time with it either, but I know my opponents, because they were just as frustrated. They couldn't play anything. But with that control deck, like I, it was it was never frustrating to play again. It was never unfun. It was just... Be careful what you play, because it may or may not hit the field. It will probably have some some short-term detriment, but you probably just got to hear my wonderful cat, that's Hobbs, making an appearance, wanting to have his his two cents on this conversation. But seriously, it was a great deck, so I do hope you bring it out again. Well, I think we've chatted quite a bit about that. Uh, let's get into our topic for today. Uh, listeners, we're going to go ahead and forego our rules to live by, or excuse me, our words to live by for today, because we have quite a bit to talk about with the Mutate mechanic. So Chris, tell us a little bit about Mutate. So Mutate premiered with the Ikoria set during the summer of COVID, with the idea being to build your own monster. Uh, one of them, and Mutate is one of the most confusing mechanics to date. It's only surpassed by more questions and odd interactions by Bandy. And when I say it is one of the most confusing mechanics to date, there is actually two separate, we're going to get into this a little bit, but there are like two separate categories for mutate in the rules. There's the mutate itself, and then there's merged permanents. And you said, Joe, that there are 18 rules for merged permanents? 18 rules regarding merged permanents with mutate. So we're, we're going to make sure we get through them rather quickly. We're not going to turn this into a rules-heavy podcast, but there are a lot of rules to discuss. with. And, and I guess, you know, we were talking about when this set came out. You know, Ikoria came out in the United States, especially. We had, well, first, Ikoria got delayed by a month. Its release date got delayed, I know. Because, well, we all know, we all tried to get some of it. But I had a box that I had ordered. I was so excited about the set, so I had ordered a box and everything. So we know that we, we knew that going into this, because it had been delayed by a month, and then there was no pre-release event for this set, so we didn't get to really interact with it a lot. We saw no drafting, at least paper drafting with this set. And a lot of the people that we play with in our LGS they're not really arena. They like to play paper man. You know, they might do some arena, but they like to do paper man. You know, and on top of it, when this came out, Wizards, a lot of people had said this, Wizards didn't really do a good job of explaining mutate to people. And so it was extremely confusing from the get-go. And of course, like I said, the summer of COVID, that's the summer, first summer when COVID was really high and rampant. And summer of 20, 2020, where the United States was basically shut down for a majority of the summer. So let's dive into some rules. Now, for the rules, we are going to go through the mutate, the rules specifically word by word so that you get the major mutate rules verbatim. However, we're going to condense a lot of the merged permanent rules into simple, easy to understand sentence to help you out. And we are not going to really cover all 18 merged permanent rules. We're going to hit the highlights and make sure that you get the most common interactions understood. And then if there are some corner cases, we highly encourage you uh, get a judge. All right, Get in touch with a judge or talk to your local game store about getting a judge in the store, someone who really does know the rules. 
Um, you can also contact judges through Facebook. There are various Facebook groups or uh, just trying to find uh, the, the judge chats that happen to be around there on the internet. Get a hold of a joint if you have a very, very specific question regarding me. So without further ado, let's begin. 702.140A. Mutate appears on some creature cards. It represents a static ability that functions while the spell with mutate is on the stack. Mutate cost means you may pay cost rather than pay this spell's mana cost. If you do, it becomes a mutating creature spell and targets a non-human creature with the same owner as this spell. Casting a spell using its mutate ability follows the rules for paying alternative costs. So, reminder, if you are told you can cast a creature spell from your graveyard without paying its mana cost, you may not mutate a mutate creature because the alternative cost of not paying the mana cost is already being paid. All right. 702.14b, as a mutating creature spell begins resolving, if its target is illegal, it ceases to be a mutating creature spell and continues resolving as a creature spell and will be put onto the battlefield under the control of the spell's controller. So, if you are mutating a creature and the base creature already on the battlefield is destroyed in some way, your mutated creature spell will still resolve. It does not fizzle or counter due to lack of a target, it simply goes onto the battlefield as a regular creature. Note, you will not get the mutate triggered ability that comes in with that creature at that point. 702.140C, as a mutating creature spell resolves, if its target is legal, it doesn't enter the battlefield. Rather, it merges with the target creature and becomes one object represented by more than one card or token. The spell's controller chooses whether the spell is put on top of the creature or on the bottom. The resulting permanent is a mutated permanent. So, while none of our mutate creatures have entered the battlefield effects, if you have another creature on the field that does care when a creature enters the battlefield, for example, say a Soul Warden or any of the Soul Sisters that have ETB effects, you will not get that enter the battlefield trigger when you cast a mutated creature. 702.140D, an ability that triggers whenever a creature mutates triggers when a spell merges with a creature as a result of a resolving mutating creature spell. So, that mutate triggered ability that is on the creature spell you just cast, it happens. A 702.140E, a mutated permanent has all abilities of each card and token that represents it. In other, its other characteristics are derived from the topmost card or token. If the creature you mutate onto has death touch and you place the mutated creature spell on top of your base creature, the new creature, the topmost card, even though it does not have death touch in its text box, if a creature underneath of that card has death touch, so does the topmost card if it's a mutated permanent. We'll talk more about that when we talk about playing with Mutate, and Chris and I will both talk about our recent experiences with our most recent Ikoria draft that we did at our LGS, where many of these rules came into play, and we learned the hard way on some of them. 702.140F, any effect that refers to or modifies the mutating creature spell refers to or modifies the mutated permanent it merges with as it resolves. So, if you have a creature underneath of the, or on top of the mutated creature, but mostly underneath, that references a specific card, 
uh, as in the name of the card as the base creature, it does mean this creature in general. So, for example, if you mutate a gem raiser onto another card and the gem raiser is going on top, even though gem raiser has nothing that says gem raiser gets plus one plus one or something like that for each other artifact in play, let's just go with that, all right? But the card underneath of it does it has a specific card name, then you will get Gem Razor having that ability even though the actual ability doesn't say Gem Razor. It means this card. Okay, so that takes care of all of the mutate ability. Now we're gonna talk about the actual merged permanent rules and we are going to go ahead and summarize. We're looking at 723.1. One keyword causes an object to merge with a permanent and that is mutate. 723.2, you're going to place the new card on top of or underneath of the cards you're mutating onto on the battlefield, and you get to make that choice at the time the spell actually resolves. You don't have to say while the card is on the stack if you're putting it on top of or underneath of the other cards, you decide as it enters the battlefield. 723.2a, the top card contains all of the copyable characteristics. So, if Gem Razor is on top and you have four cards underneath, it doesn't matter what the other cards are named. The permanent is named Gem Razor. It is a creature, beast, power toughness, 4-4. 723.2b, you do not get Enter the Battlefield effects, nor does the permanent have Summoning Sickness. Keep that in mind. 723.2d, notice we're skipping 2c, don't worry. 723.2d, tokens can remain part of your merged permanent. And if the token has any abilities that were granted to it when the token was made, those are also a part of your merged permanence abilities. 723.2e. If a face-down permanent is part of your stack of creatures, the face-down permanent stays face-down. And if the face-down permanent is not the topmost card, you're not going to be able to turn the face-down permanent within that stack face-up. Right? It has to be the topmost card, otherwise it's just not going to happen. 723.2f, if the topmost card is a face-down morph or manifest, or a face-down card in general, and you decide to turn it face-up, you also turn face-up any additional morphs or manifests that are in the same permanent stack. 723.2g, if you somehow manifested an instant or sorcery card onto the battlefield through the manifest ability, keep in mind, instants and sorceries still can't exist face-up on the battlefield. It's not possible, so they will remain face down. 723.2i, if you have multiple werewolf cards on the stack, and again, you'll need to merge onto the werewolf side. When one transforms, all that are able to transform will transform. 723.2j, meld cards. If you have a card that has meld, meld cards on a stack of merge permanents can't be removed individually and melded with their partner cards. So if once it's there on that stack of permanents, it's merged with that stack of permanents stuck there. 723.2J, if the topmost card is exiled or put into the graveyard, all cards underneath it follow it. 723.2.3A, you get to pick the order the cards are stacked or placed in the graveyard or library. So while they all go there together, you get to decide how they're actually ordered in the library or the graveyard. Mostly it's gonna be graveyard, but just in case it's and that's where we're going to go ahead and stop. The rest of these rules are a little more corner casey, and so we're not going to hit them too hard. Chris, do you think there's anything else that I missed that is really important after having played with a lot of mutate the other day? 
Um, so, uh, kind of touching on the leaves the battlefield. Um, so if the topmost card is returned to your hand, all of them are returned to your That's hand. That's correct. All of them. They all go to the appropriate zone. Yeah. They all follow right. the top. Right. They all follow the leader. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. They do. They follow the leader. Yeah. So that takes care of all the rules. <laughs> and th again, there's a lot of them. Please don't be afraid. If you have any questions, reach out, ask. We'll, f we'll get the answer back to you. All right. So with all the rules out of the way, um, even abbreviating it, that took a little bit. So we're going to get into the featured cards. Uh, Joe's going to take the first one because I want the second one because that one really d did some work for me out the draft. That's okay. I love this first card. So our first featured card is called Gem Razor. We've talked about it already. It's a great card. It is a 4-4 beast creature. It costs three generic and one green. You can mutate it for one generic green green. It has reach, trample, and whenever this creature mutates, destroy target artifact or enchantment and opponent controls. I love this card. It goes in many of my commander decks because a lot of people don't see it come. Now, is it an instant or sorcery that can destroy an artifact or enchantment? No, but so is Reclamation Sage, and Reclamation Sage sees so much play in a lot of different decks. This is fantastic. And it's mutate cost is the same as Reclamation. I think Rex Sage is two and a green. Well, it's, but it's uh, still the, the mana value. Right. The mana value is, is, is the same. Yeah. You're getting a bigger body with reach and trample with the same ability. It's it's a fantastic card. Absolutely love it. Think it should see a lot more play than what it currently Here's a fun. Here's a funny thing to do. Play Reclamation Sage and then mutate Jim Razor onto it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's look at our next one. All right, so the next card is Auspicious Sterix. It is a Elk Beast for four generic and a green, and it's a 6-6. Six, six. Its mutate cost is five generic and a green, and it has the ability, when this creature mutates, exile cards from the top of your library until you exile X permanent cards, where X is the number of times this creature has mutated. Put those permanents onto the battlefield. So uh, this past weekend, we did... An Ikoria draft at our LGS, and Auspicious Sterix was the MVP of my deck because if I can get it on, so I drafted a, I went, I focused solely on the mutate mechanic just because of this episode. I wanted to actually play with it, and nice. Auspicious Sterix I actually pulled because it was the uh, the oh, alternate the art. comic book art, yeah, yeah. The, like the comic book art, and I was like, oh, that looks cool, and then I read it. I didn't even really read its ability. I kind of glanced at mm -hmm. it. And then whenever I was playing with it, I was mutating a whole bunch onto it. And I'm just exiling. And most of the time, and the, it says permanent. Exactly. This is, and it doesn't say, you know, lands into a battlefield tap or anything. No. This was actually a. It was a ramp spell. It was a ramp spell. And one game I managed to drop a Titanus Rex, which is an 11-11 for originally for nine mana. I was able to cheat that into play just by mutating something onto it. I know. It's when when Ikoria first came out, again, we weren't doing in-person games and we didn't have spell tables set up for our play group or anything. We didn't even actually have a play group, really. Mm -hmm. It was just you and I at the time. So I was playing a lot of Arena to try to get any sort of you know exposure to the set. Auspicious, I had a dedicated meat deck that was standard legal at the time. And Auspicious Sterics was a rock star. This was one of the key cards of the deck. And the deck had no 
it was all permanence. It was all creatures, lands, and everything. And so we were just dropping massive number of creatures and lands by the time the game was over. It was amazing. Absolutely phenomenal card. The next card we're going to look at is Snapdax, Apex of the Hunt. This is one of a cycle of cards from Ikoria. They are all three colors. Snapdax is a legendary creature, Dinosaur Cat Nightmare. It is a 3-5. It costs one generic red, white, black. And as I said, it is one of a cycle of three cards, or excuse me, of five cards that are all three colors. It has a mutate cost of two generic, black, red, hybrid, white, white. It also has double strike. And whenever this creature mutates, it deals four damage to target creature or planeswalker and opponent controls, and you gain four life. Now, interestingly, this is not the most popular of the Apex creatures from, uh, from Aquaria. Actually, I think Nathroi, Apex of Death, is the most popular one. For a while, it was Aluna, Apex of Wishes. Uh, however, Snapdax absolutely annihilated me in one of these games me that we too. played on Saturday. <laughs> uh, one, one of our opponents had drafted a Snapdax, and he, did, he got this thing to do some work. That, that double strike really made things difficult. And then it's, it's mutate ability where it deals four damage to target creature, planeswalker, opponent controls, and they gain four life. That really made a lot of difference. Again, a lot of the apex creatures, not overly, overly popular. Uh, and, and like I said, Nathroi, I think is the most popular of all of them. Yeah. And Nathroi is the one that I drafted. Yeah. And Nathroi is a lot of fun too. Great, great card. Uh, but Snapdax is solid. You're going to go for an aggro style. That's the way to go. Chris, what do we have next? All right, we have Pouncing Shore Shark. It's a creature shark beast for four generic and a blue with power and toughness four three. Its mutate cost is three generic and a blue. And it has flash. And whenever this creature mutates, you may return target creature and opponent controls to its owner's hand. So for a mana value of four, you can you have a flash bounce mutator and because it has flash you can mutate at instant speed with it not only mutate at instant speed but you also have unsummon on a stick you know it and it that i know this was another one it didn't do as much work but i know it was a solid card at, at the beginning of Aquarius. It, it it sort of fell out of favor pretty quickly but at the beginning Pouncing Shore Shark was causing a lot of frustration for people. I wish I had drafted one of those because... Oh, it, yeah. It, it would have solved so many problems. Especially going up against other Mutate decks. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, it's a great card. Great card. It's unfortunate it's not able to see more play because it has a lot of goods. And a 4-3 body is nothing to sneeze at. Oh, no. Yeah. Is it a 4-3 for 4? Yeah. I'll take that it. Flash that you can cast at, at instant flash, speed? Yes. That's that's nothing to sneeze. Next, we have Vulpakeet. It is a fox bird, a 2-3 for 3 generic and 1 white. Its mutate cost is 2 generic and 1 white. It has flying, and whenever this creature mutates, put a plus 1, plus 1 counter on It's disappointing that this one didn't see more play during the actual Aquarius set. And it's really only useful in a dedicated mutate deck. Unfortunately, the more common mutate colors were, at least when the set released, were blue, green, and black. So unfortunately, Vulpakeet fell into a color that wasn't very popular with the mutate mechanic. But I'll tell you, if it had more opportunities, it's really a good card. And it is solid. 
And the last featured card is Otrimi the Ever Playful. This was the Mutate Commander from the Ikoria set. Uh, so Otrimi costs three generic black, green, blue. Uh, it's a legendary creature, Nightmare Beast, uh, power and toughness, 6-6. Six, six. Uh, its mutate cost is a generic, a black, a green, and a blue. And it has trample, and whenever this creature uh, deals combat damage to a player, return target creature card with mutate from your graveyard to your hand. Um, so this one, I wish I had gotten it. Just I be- know. Because it just seems like, a l- one, it's in the colors that I was playing. Yeah. And <laughs> um, mostly the colors that I was playing. And then with Otrimi is one of the few ones where it's mutate. Like some of the good ones, their mutate cost is higher. Some, but not all. But Otrimi, he actually reduces down by two. Pretty significantly. Yeah, that's a much easier mutate. A 6-6 trample and recursion. Yeah. For four. Yeah. And all you need is something to mutate onto. If you play a colony garden the turn before this and you have a plant token... Congratulations, you mutate Otrimi on Oh, can it. you imagine putting down a, uh, an Essence Symbiote? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you Essence Symbiote turn two, mutate something else onto it turn three, mutate Otrimi onto it turn four, and assuming you have something you want to pull back from your graveyard by that point, but then you're going to look at a massive creature, a creature with two plus one plus one counters on it. You've gained four life, and whatever the other mutate ability is on the, the first card, you're going to get that again, too. It... It really, it, it, the Mutate deck I know was not popular because the other decks that came out for this product seemed much more put together. They also had, some, this one didn't have, this was the commander set that brought us the free spells. Um, Deflecting SWAT. Oh, uh, this had one was Calamax, Deadly right? Rollick, yeah. And then what's the, the blue one that counters... Oh, I'm I'm blanking. It's the blue counter spell that as long as you have your commander, you can cast it. Yeah. Anyway, because it didn't have one of those, it sort of fell off in popularity because the other decks were more desirable. Just like Jarena, Janira, Kudro, the humans based, the Mardu humans based deck. Again, it didn't have no it, no sorry, it had Deadly Rollick in it. But even that one, it it wasn't popular. So, but still, nice card. What makes a good commander if you want to do a dedicated and in the colors that have a lot of music. As far as our featured decks go, as I've already told you and alluded to, there, well, there was... Dominant colors. Oh, dominant colors. I can't believe we forgot about that. So there are four in white, four in blue, four in black, three in red, four in green, and 11 multicolor. We also do have a few cards that get bonuses from mutating. We had, as we already alluded to, the Essence Symbiote which gives you a plus, gains you two life and puts a plus one, plus one counter on the creature. We had the Polywog Symbiote, which makes your mutate spells cheaper to cast. And then there was an egg. It's a zero two egg, a mysterious egg, yeah. that when you mutate onto it, it gets a plus one, plus one counter. So a nice little base creature there. There was also the uh, Zagoth Mamba that gets bonuses or uh, puts it minus two, minus two on a creature whenever it mutates. So we have a lot of good cards. As I already alluded to, there was a dedicated standard mutate deck that was actually for about a month really powerful. People started figuring out how to play against it though, so it, it kind of died off pretty quickly. And while while I still liked it and it was fun to play, it it didn't have quite the the power. But <laughs> when I first started playing it, I mean I was winning ninety percent of my game. When I played that deck, you just overpowered everybody, you flooded the board with creatures, and they, they couldn't keep up. Um, so it it started off really powerful, but it, it 
backed off pretty quickly once figured out how to play against. And as we've already said, there there is a dedicated commander deck that was released as well. We do have that. All right. It's it's kind of the really important time for this for our podcast where we talk about playing with the mutate ability and playing against the mutate ability. And again, Chris and I, we have some really good recent experience just a couple days ago. We did a draft where we used this set and we played with these abilities or against these abilities. Uh, in your case, you drafted a mutate deck. I did not. I drafted a red-white cycling deck, but had to play against several mutate decks. So we're going to go ahead and talk about our experiences with that and how to play with the mechanic, play against the mechanic. Chris, take it away. All right, so when you're playing with Mutate, first and foremost, you want to include useful base creatures. Uh, things like uh, the Mamba, the Zagath Mamba, uh, the Essence Symbiote, things that give you benefits um, whenever something mutates. Not, even, not necessarily itself, but when something a creature you control mutates, you get additional benefits. You also want to include... Uh, an, more uh, other useful base creatures would be things with uh, uh, relevant keywords. So flying, reach, vigilance is an absolute powerhouse with it. Yeah, it is. Um, death touch. Death touch. All of those really good keywords, those are really good to have on base creatures because even if you don't have that one, even if you just mutate on top of that one and that one just stays at the bottom of the stack, you still get those benefits. Which brings me to my next point. Use the mutate bonuses. Gym Razor, you can use it as recl- a uh, reclamation stage. Um, the uh, the one that really Nethroid, the Apex of Death. Um, that one, his mutate bonus is you get creatures with total power of ten or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. And so I was actually using that to recur my mutate some of my uh, previously destroyed mutate mm-hmm. creatures. I was bringing them back so that I could refill my board to give me more blockers. So you want to use those mutate bonuses advantage. Um, Auspicious Sterics, you can get stuff off, you can get creatures, and well, you can get permanents. Uh, Pouncing Shore Shark, you can bounce things. Use those bonuses to your advantage. Um, The next one is know which creature to put on top. Uh, So like we said, whenever you mutate, you can either put it on top or bottom. The topmost one is the one that it is. That's where you get the power and toughness. Well, base power toughness. Uh, base power toughness, creature type, name, uh, color. You know, all of those things, yeah, derive from that topmost card. So you want to know which to put on top. Um, me, I found that if you put the really big thing on top, um, it just makes it into a target. Yes. Yes, it typically did. Yeah. However, there are times when you want that. Because if you have a lot of plus one, plus one counters, yeah. those stack. That's another thing, too. We, I don't think we didn't even put that in the show notes, but plus one, plus one counters, they, they transfer. They, they go onto that creature. So well, that's what yeah. I was going to get to with yeah. this one. So <laughs> the way that the counters work on mutated creatures is even if the if the if you mutate on top to, of a creature that has counters on it, whether it be the keyword counters or plus one, plus one counters, whatever is on top is getting those counters. So... If you mutate onto some uh, a boot nipper that has the death touch counter, if you mutate a pouncing sky, sh- uh, yeah, pouncing shore shark onto a boot nipper that already has the death touch counter, that pouncing shore shark on top will have that death touch counter. So you can use it. You can 
mutate in a way to maximize the benefit. Mm -hmm. Um, which brings me to my next point, order your mutations to maximize your bonuses. Um, whenever I, the deck that I played during the draft, I had, uh, auspicious sterics on, uh, and, and one of the mutate stacks along with, uh, the one that let me, uh, ramp or whatever. Um, I had multi, and then I had the recluse that gave me two one plus one counters. And then I think I also had essence symbiote on that one. So I had oh, like, <laughs> Oh yeah. Like I would, you were gaining life and putting a massive amount of counters on it. I, so here's how I, here's how it happened. I was getting three plus one plus one counters on that creature. I right. was gaining two life. I was, uh, ramping. A, I was, uh, pretty much cultivating a card, a, yeah. a, a land card. And I was then also r- pulling stuff from the top. Yeah. Uh, with uh, then with Auspiric Steric. So I had a huge, like, I had keywords. I had, like, a build. It was a pretty much a book at that right. point. Right. <laughs> Which, again, you can see why this mechanic gets pretty confusing pretty quickly and difficult to track if you're not careful how exactly you order those cards. And you got to keep pretty meticulous notes to make sure you know exactly what that creature does. And uh, so I was ordering it to where... Um, so the way that I ended up doing it, I don't know if it's the right way, but just to make my life easier, I went from bottom to top. Well, I mean, honestly, it's however you want to at that point. Yeah. Yeah. You can order the, you order the triggers however you like. Yeah. I just made my life easier because I just went from bottom to top and, but like the plus one, plus one counters and it's like that. I just kind of lump those ones were a given. So I was like, all right, those ones will be first and then I'll work my way up. Right. And, but because you're mutating onto one, you're. Me, I was primarily mutating onto one creature. You need to protect your mutated creatures because if you lose the top, if you lose that top, if you lose that creature, you lose everything attached. Yeah. So first and foremost, well, after you know mutating, the next thing that you want to focus on is protection. Right. You want to be able to protect those um those creatures. So counter spells, stuff like counter spells, removal, um. Targeted destruction, those type targeted removal, those types of things will be beneficial. And you're playing mostly in black and uh, blue, right? Which has really good answers to targeted removal yeah. and also like balance and counters. So you have you're in the you're in the good wedge for dealing for protecting your stuff. So that's the gist of playing with mutate, but like the rules. It gets complicated, it gets confusing, but if you can figure it out and you have fun with it, it is totally worth it, and oh, I yeah, love Mutate great. now. It's so much fun. So, Joe, what, tell us about your experience in playing against Mutate. So, playing against Mutate, you have to be really mindful as to what's going on early in the game. Um, and so, one of the things you need to pay attention to is taking out the base creature, well, identifying the base creatures and taking them out early. Great example. In game two, after I had realized just how much of a mutate dedicated deck my opponent was playing, he dropped Boot Nipper on turn two, put the Death Touch counter on it. Great, fantastic, that's where you're going to start. I know that you're now going to start building up that creature. So on my turn three, pacified it immediately because I knew... Okay, if he decides to mutate onto it, it's going to be for one reason, to get the insatiable hemophage triggers where he's going to drain in game. Okay, fine. I'll deal with that. 
it means that I don't have to worry about a massive death having to be in the process too. So eliminating that base creature made my life so much easier. Game three, he dropped a, a Grim Dancer. Same idea. I didn't pacify it. I just straight up removed it. That one just went to the graveyard <laughs> through, through another removal spell. But again, getting rid of those base creatures, identifying the base creatures, which ones are extremely difficult and going to cause problems later on, and getting rid of them makes a huge difference. And that sort of goes into what we were talking about with Chris's experience playing with Mutate. Mutate decks have a lot of creatures in the deck, but they don't typically have a lot of creatures on the battlefield. So if you can overcome, they, they, they'll have big creatures. They, they will have big, powerful creatures in the field, but not a lot of creatures. So if you can overcome that with either good targeted removal or a number of creatures, if you have a, a go-wide strategy, you're going to be okay, all right? But you, have, you need to have some blockers that you can sacrifice turn after turn after turn. And you need to make sure that you can go around the few creatures that they have. But again, remember, those creatures are going to be huge. Even if they're not big power toughness-wise, Chris was saying you know, a lot of his creatures did get big power toughness. They may not be that way, but they'll have a lot of abilities that you got to worry about. So either they are, they're either going to be huge with power and toughness or a lot of abilities and you got to really pay attention to what they can do. Don't be afraid to look at your opponent and say, I need to know what all that creature, I, I need to know all the abilities that it has. Because our odds are they're going to stack the cards on top of each other. And that's okay, they're allowed to do that. But because some of the text boxes will be hidden, most likely, or difficult for you to read, you need to be able to just go and talk to your opponent and say, hey, that, that mutated creature that has gem raiser on top, what else does it do? Because I only, I'm only really paying attention to gem raiser. I need to, so don't be afraid to ask and be mindful. They can get big. Also, know when to remove creatures. As we talked about in the rules, if the the creature is going to, if the if your opponent casts a mutated creature spell and you remove the target, then the creature that they're casting with the mutate ability still comes into play. Just know when it is best and this goes from game to game. sometimes you want to draw out that mutate and so you want your opponent to think that they're going to get a big bonus and you know you're back in a, a removal spell so you're ready for it and then that big mutate bonus they think that for example if they think they're going to get an auspicious sterics that's going to put four permanents into play and you remove the creature underneath of it before the sterics actually comes into play it's much better to only get have to deal with a 6-6 six, six because you drew out that, that cast and then remove the base creature instead of removing the creature earlier and then, well, they had this other base creature over here. They could have put the Sterex on. It wasn't their ideal choice, but now they're still going to get that one perm. So be mindful of when you want to draw out that removal and when you want to take creature. Finally, Keep track of the mutation. Cards like Auspicious Sterix, Insatiable Hemophage, they benefit from the number of times that creature is mutated. So if you see a creature with three mutations on it, and then, but there's no like no Auspicious Sterix, no Insatiable Hemophage on the board yet, if they're in those colors, be mindful. One of them, one of those cards could be coming out. And even though it's the first time Auspicious Sterics has mutated onto that creature, it's getting an X equals four 
because that's the fourth time that creature is mutated. So be mindful of those creatures and pay attention to those X abilities because it can make a huge difference when it comes to altering the battlefield and swinging it quickly in the, the advantage of your opponent. So a lot of things to think about. But again, it really is what makes playing against a mutate deck a lot of fun. And, and even though I lost, I did not win that match, mostly because Snapdax hit the field. And once that happened, there was no chance of coming back from it. It was still a lot of fun to play against. And, and I really did enjoy what they were able to do. And knowing that when you're playing against a mutate deck, you're never going to play against the same deck twice. You, you really aren't, especially in a limited format like this, because they're always going to have different mutations of that creature. They're going to build different creatures based off of what they get and what is necessary at the time. And you always need to be on your feet having an answer to go. So it's it really is a lot of fun. And it's a unique, it's a unique approach that you don't get, I think, any other set for how to play against that kind. All right, so... For the uses in different formats, uh, currently not much use for Mutate because it was in Ikoria and Ikoria has since rotated out of standard. Uh, while the benefit might be good, the use uses are generally too niche for competitive play. Like now, I would if we were if they ever get in-person tournaments like Grand Prix and Magic Fest and whatever. Right. If they get those back and running. I'm tempted to build a, like, just like a jank mutate deck just to take Go it for it. And the cards are cheap. <laughs> and uh, so outside of, like, drafts and stuff like that, it's not, mutate isn't really a thing. Right now. Right now. I, I really think that in the future, mutate is going to be a bit of a turn. I never think it's going to be extremely popular, but I think people are going to start to realize the benefits of mutate cards because th this was a set that got overshadowed by COVID and companion. Yes. Companion was the mechanic that broke magic. I mean, when, when you have a, when you have a mechanic that alters legacy, there is a, one of the companions <laughs> we will, and, and we'll, we'll go over companion at some point. Yeah. I, I think it'll be the next episode or <laughs> one of the shortly next after. Yeah. Um, spoiler in legacy. They don't really ban cards, right? Ikoria and the companion mechanic, they banned a card in Legacy, which is almost unheard of. That's how broken it was. It got errated twice. Well, and that, yeah, that's true because the way that they released Companion was not, they released it one way, and then about a week and a half later, they said, nope, we need to change the rules on this because it, it was way too powerful off the bat. And so they actually changed the rules on it. And fortunately, it was worded on the card in a specific way that the reminder text would still make sense. But you have to know, you still got to pay the three to get it into your hand, and then you can cast it. It was... But I think the companion mechanic overshadowed this. Plus, Mutate was really confused, and a lot of people didn't really understand how to use it at first. And it was the first set without a pre-release going into the, the, the era of COVID. So I think it really got... It had, like, the perfect trifecta storm of things going working against it. but eventually i think people are going to realize this has got a lot of good bonuses and be quite if you find the right deck all right so just a real quick question for our scuttlebutt what is your preferred method of blinging out your mine two two ways my preferred method 
is using the alternate art from cards. I really like, especially from Aquaria, the, I, I was a huge sucker for the comic book art. I snagged as many of those cards as I could. They were just, they're amazing. I love them. Absolutely fantastic. I also enjoyed the Kaldheim art. I like the, what is it? The Throne of Eldraine fantasy art. The, the storybook one? Storybook, that's it. Yeah, the storybook art. If I'm going to bling out a deck, I'm going to see alternate art. Or I like to use old cards. <laughs> the white borders? No, no, not even white borders. No, actually, I don't like um, Unless I have to, because that's like the version to hold of. I I don't like white border. However, if if it's if it's an old card, especially one from the collection that I originally had when I first started playing back in the early 2000s, that's that's how I like to show that guys. I actually need to drop a little. Look at this old card that I have in here. It works really well, and odds are you guys haven't really heard of it <laughs> before. So that that's that's what I like to do to really using the alternate art or old card. That's that's how I like to blink. I don't like foil. I foils are nice, but I find them well. If you get a foil that doesn't curl, if you can get a foil to lay flat, number one. The older ones. Yes, exactly. The old cold pressed foils. Those are wonderful. The etched foils are also really nice. I have difficulty. They're not as easy to read. I've noticed. So I'm I'm not a huge fan of foils to bling out the deck. But if I can use the alternate art. Or the, the, I, I should say the showcase, the showcase art. That's it. If I can use the showcase art card or a really old card in, in my deck, that's what I, what about you? So three things. One is like you alternate art, or even, uh, I do have, a, I do have two cards that are altered. My, the two planes that I have with Olaf on them. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. $15 at a Renaissance festival for two cards. Originally, it was only going to buy spend 15 on one of them with Olaf. So <laughs> nice. it, it's uh, so it's, it's Olaf experiencing summer. Well, here, here it is. <laughs> so it's a planes card and it has Olaf on it. And it's like and he's, you know, singing in summer. <laughs> and whenever I bought it, like I saw it and I was like, dude, I totally want this one. And the guy was like, you got 15 minutes. I can do another one for you and I'll give you two for free. It's like. <laughs> deal <laughs> i didn't he didn't even tell me what it was or anything like that and came back 15 minutes later and it's like all right here you go all right here's 15 bucks and he hands me the card and there's the olaf one on top and then i turn it turn over the sleeve and there's the other one and it's a puddle with all the coal oh, and the no. <laughs> with the uh with the uh coal and the carrot and everything oh and that's it, good and the text box says also in summer oh man <laughs> so okay that's good all right so alters is the uh, alt art or alters is the yeah. first one. Second one, sleeves and or playmats. Oh, um, okay. Um, because I like for competitive play, I like to have like this sh- like mono color. You know, I have very specific sleeves that I want to use for. Oh, I never noticed play. that. Okay. So like, if you'll notice, like all of the competitive decks that I play, very rarely will they have like text or. Oh. Um, and that's because. Nice. Um. If the if your opponent in competitive play wants to be a real stickler, if one card is like turned upside down, yeah, that's true. That's it, a marked card. It, it it can be considered a marked card, and you can get a, a penalty yeah, for it. That's you. true. Um, so I stick with like I have a very I have a few packs of cards that I use just for competitive. But for commander, um, my wife got me uh, the not today Satan cards. Right. <laughs> the, the not today Satan yeah. uh, sleeves and deck box and. I, 
And uh, so, like, I have those. I have ones that have, like, one up on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have your skull ones, too, I think, for uh, your, your, like, mono, mono black. Uh, so, uh, for Con- Sir Conrad. So, Conrad is eh, just his deck box is um, oh, okay. tailored towards him. And that's just because, like, he's, that's his home. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, I only have a, I have a limited number of deck boxes. So, right. that's why, yeah. um, that's why I. I I only carry like I think eight, eight or nine commander decks in my bag, mm-hmm. and then I have room for two modern or whatever, and then my dice. Um, and then so sleeves and playmat. I just recently got a new playmat. Um, and then the last one is like foils or like if I have um if I can put in like some of my like high ticket like some of the like high price cards. I'll happily put those in just to kind of bling it out or whatever. Right. Because I have a uh, Force of Negation with a $90 card. Yeah. Um, My Conrad deck has a card that was, at one time, $1,000. It is now sitting right. at $20. <laughs> um, really? Space Godzilla? Yeah, Space Godzilla. It's still a $20 card. Space Godzilla is like, I think last I checked, it was a couple weeks ago, though. It was like $20-ish. Wow. Um. And, uh, so, like, if I can put in cards that are, like, high price, I will. Mm-hmm. Just, now, I'm, now, I'm not saying that I will buy them. If they right. are in my collection yeah. and I know that they're high price, I'll put them in. Yeah. Like, I have, uh, for Grand Prix, I bought Polluted Delta. I bought a playset of Polluted Delta. Can't go wrong with Fetchlands. And so I have a playset of those. So if I'm running black or blue in any of my commander decks, I'll happily throw one of those in. Right. Um, I have a whole bunch of uh, um. Oh, and also in the whole foiled category, we can also put uh, the planeswalker stamps. Oh yeah, that's true. Because yeah. I have a couple of lands that are planeswalker stamps. Um. Oh, I guess. Okay. Big question on your your polluted deltas. Are they the cons of Tarkir or the original onslaught? Tarkir. So they're forty ish dollars. Okay. All right. I just I just wondered if you happen to get your hands on original onslaught oh. ones. When I so when I buy cards right i have no problem going <laughs> all the way down to good <laughs> yeah and <laughs> uh, in, in many especially the expensive cards like <laughs> um so i also have a playset of training grounds from original zendikar right those are four dollars a pop as mm-hmm. well so i'll happily throw those in uh what else what are some of my other high ticket like i have a handful of cards that are like a hundred ish dollars yeah and any chance i get i'll throw them in right and does that kind of put a target on me for someone that knows cards and has nefarious purposes? Yes. But it's just a simple way that I can bling out my deck yeah. without breaking the bank because I already have it. Exactly. At that point, it's in Right. So, but I mean, like, just ways to make it, like, somewhat... Uh, oh, sorry. I also have a signed card. Signed by whom? Uh, it's Urza's Tower. Okay. Signed by the artist. Oh, nice. That's cool. Yeah. He was... And... Because he was at the Grand Prix that I went to, and I oh, was like, "Oh, cool, and, nice!" And I went online ahead of time to yeah. see which all which artists were there to see if I had any of their cards, so I can get them signed. Turns out he also does. He also did the art for Brazen Borrower. Really? Yeah. And guess what? And that was the playmat, right? The playmat was Brazen Borrower. Nice. I didn't realize it until like thirty or so minutes after I'd already taken my oh, playmat no. to the car because I had mine. Yeah. And I didn't feel like walking 
to the other side of yeah, the, the convention, convention center <laughs> to get to the to go to the car to grab my play mat to bring it back to try and get him to sign it. I'm like, I gotta, I have, I have a card signed. I'm happy. Right. So it's just little things. And yeah. The old foils I will happily do. Uh, on the unlands, we'll happily throw those yeah, in constellation those nice. lands. Uh, nightmare lands is shadowlands. Shadowlands, like all the like different. But beautiful, like full art. I'll even go with like the Zendikar, like kind of pseudo full art ones. Oh, I mean that's what I use for all of my drafting and uh, sealed events. Yeah, is the Zendikar full art lands. Yeah, because like, like those one, those lands just are beautiful. Oh yeah, they pop really well, and you know that odds are that your LGS is not going to have those in the land station. Yeah, <laughs> they're they're going to have some other basic lands. Those are a little more valued. They're not going. That you'll be able to tell your land. Yeah. So, like, I have some small little tweaks I can make, some yeah. big little, some big ones. But, like, for the most part, it's just, like, little things here and there. Like, mm-hmm. the, the lands that I like, stuff like that. Um, So, that's typically how I will bling out a deck. Nice. So, because this episode has been long for uh, getting into the cleanup, no, no questions this week. Uh, just because of how long this episode is, we don't want to take up any more of your time. Mutate is quite a complex <laughs> ability. <laughs> so, uh, like I said at the top of the episode, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, show ideas, deck building questions. Questions about mutate. <laughs> <laughs> dad jokes. Uh, you can email them to mtgunderthehood at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at mtgunderthehood. So with that... We're going to sign off. Thank you for listening to this episode of Match the Gathering Under the Hood. I'm Chris. And I'm Joe. We look forward to delving deeper under the hood with you in our next episode. Stay tuned.